Morning. Great to have you with us today. Now, there are lots of good reasons not to be a Christian. With numerous critiques of the Christian faith, some more credible than others. And some of you joining us online today are spiritually seeking. You're curious. You're maybe critical, wrestling with questions or doubts. While others would love to be better equipped to share with your friends and your classmates why you were actually a Christian. And one of the most interesting historical critiques is that the first followers of Jesus, those eyewitnesses who wrote much of the New Testament, uh, simply fabricated a lot of it for their own gain, or at least they embellished what they'd experienced with that young uh, carpenter from Nazareth. But I have to tell you that today, Trinity Sunday, that one Sunday in the year when Christians focus on God being uh, three persons but one God, that just blows that claim completely out of the water. Because if I were one of those first disciples and I wanted to try and invent a religion that would span the globe, there is no way that I would sit down with my fellow conspirators and say, listen, guys, I've got it. Let's have a triune God. Let's say that God is three persons, but still one God. People will love that. They'll eat up the Trinity. Of course not. The doctrine of the Trinity is like a Japanese poem, a koan. What is the sound of one hand clapping? It's a statement which frustrates logic, but can lead to deep experience. And this morning, we're going to see two things. One, we're going to unpack how hard the Trinity is to understand. And then two, how hard it would be to live in a world if it weren't actually true. A hard to understand, but hard to live without which now that I think about it, might be what my husband uh, would describe me. So first of all, how it's hard to understand. Preachers can tie themselves up in knots trying to explain the Trinity using examples like uh, three-leaf clovers or how H2O is water, steam, and ice. But none of these analogies will quite do. When we approach the Trinity... The belief that God is three persons but still one God, we're facing something unique and startling, not claimed by any other belief system. And it's the most obvious example, uh, it's, it's the most obvious difference, for example, between Christianity and Islam. And Islam would see the Trinity as an affront, uh, a heresy. And don't let anybody sell you on the notion that all faiths are actually saying uh, the same thing just in different ways. That's not true. It's also trivializing uh, to other faiths. Experiencing God as triune, that is a unique aspect of experiencing God when we're learning how to follow Jesus. But trying to explain the idea of one God uh, containing three persons it's a particular challenge because the New Testament completely assumes an understanding of the Trinity. 
It's like the elevator music of the Bible, the, the backdrop, the air that everyone breathes. And never once in the whole New Testament is there a section that fully explains the Trinity. And our text from Matthew, which Susan just read, is a prime example. Uh, the passage is primarily about Jesus commissioning uh, followers to go and uh, tell the good news to other people. But the backdrop, the backdrop is the Trinity. And we're going to use this passage as we wrestle with how hard the Trinity is to understand, but how incredibly hard it would be to live in a world if it weren't actually true. J.I. Packer, an Anglican theologian, uh, wrote this. The historic doctrine of the Trinity confronts us with probably the most difficult thought the human mind has ever been asked to handle. So I hope you've had enough coffee this morning. Two difficult but important points are being made about the Trinity here in Matthew. Let's briefly look. The first is in verse 19, Jesus speaking. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And notice that it says name and not names, plural. The Bible treats names differently than we do in our modern urban culture. We tend to think of a name simply like a label that can be changed if we feel like it. Farouk Bulsara into Freddie Mercury. But not so back then. A name represented the actual nature and character of a person, their being. And so only if something momentous happened would someone's name have been changed. When Saul encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, then he became Paul. A name represents who a person is. And here in our passage, it says, be baptized into the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three different persons, clearly, Father, Son, and Spirit, but one being, one name. Three persons in a single being. It's a statement that uh, so quickly spills over into incredulity, but it was in direct contrast to the polytheism, a belief in many gods, that flourished in Greco-Roman culture at the time of writing. Polytheism, which still, of course, exists today. It doesn't matter what you believe, the voices whisper. You have your truth, I have mine. Do what is best for you. It's simply a creative form of polytheism. Make up your own God who will tell you what you want to hear in life and then follow them. It's great. But it's the Trinity that rescues me from such self-indulgence. There is one God, and God's name has been revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and a quick aside before I move on, God's being does not have a gender. With masculine and feminine imagery being used in the Jewish and Christian scriptures to describe the activity of God. And thinking that the fact that the revealed name of God is Father, Son, and Spirit means that God is male 
I mean, that's understandable, but it's false and it's unbiblical. God has no gender and we are not at liberty to change God's name. God gets to be called what God wants to be called. And in another opportunity, we'll spend some time looking at what the fatherhood of God means for us. Okay, now the second point, hard though it is, is in verse 17. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. This is one of the clearest statements in the New Testament that even the earliest followers of Jesus realized that he was actually God in the flesh. And I know that for myself, an easy temptation when thinking about the Trinity is to go into mathematical fraction mode. You know, Jesus has a third of the God stuff. The Holy Spirit has a third of the God stuff. And, and the Father is the final third. You put all the thirds together and voila, you get God. But no, each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, is fully and completely God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And when one of the earliest followers of Jesus, Peter, confronts another follower, Ananias, about his lying, Peter accuses Ananias of lying to the Holy Spirit, and then in the very same breath rebukes him for lying to God. Three persons, one God, each person fully divine. And Christians around the world and down the centuries have not always agreed on every aspect uh, of what it means to follow Jesus. And, and sadly, today there are still disagreements. But the fact that God is three in one, that's not one of them, which simply underlines the importance of the Trinity. Now, while the Trinity is an intellectual concept, it is undoubtedly challenging. What matters for our daily lives, like, you know, here in Toronto or wherever you are, what matters is how hard it would be if it were not actually true. What would life be like without it? It's been said that you don't marry someone you can live with, but someone you can't live without. Could we live without the Trinity? Now, one of the most appealing aspects of the Christian faith, an aspect that our secular culture still wants to hold on to, is the idea that God is love. And while this biblical statement that God is love, it is true. It lacks clarity. C.S. Lewis, the famous children's writer, wrote this. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, God was not love. For love to really be at the essence of who God is then God cannot be unipersonal. For God from all eternity, even before I existed, to be love, God has to be a community, a trinity. 
a community of loving relationships of the father loving the son and the son loving the father and the spirit flowing between the two. And if this is true, if God as love is at the center of ultimate reality, then we cannot escape it. And that explains why we yearn for love, for relationships. We were made for them. It's why the isolation and pain of the past year uh, has been so painful. It's why uh, light shining on the racism in the United States and right here in Canada has been so painful. When the full humanity of our racialized sisters and brothers uh, is denied, and when this infernal virus keeps us physically separated, apart, how can loving relationships, which reflect the very essence of God, how can relationships be formed and sustained? Racism and isolation are evil denials of the triune nature of God. And what this means for us, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, what it means is that relationships, they've got to be a priority. Our friendships, both the ones inside the church and those outside, our marriages, our work colleagues, our, uh, the, the friends we have in our condos, those relationships matter because they are ways in which we grow more fully human like the triune God of love, the center of all reality. Imagine if this weren't true. Imagine if we were not made for relationships, not made for community. Then there could be no forgiveness in our daily lives. There would be no support in mental health struggles. There would be no intimacy, physical, emotional. There would be no laughter. There would be no fun. Do you know there even wouldn't be any music or art? Because art and music are always an overflow of love from the human heart or the absence of love. That's where art and music comes from. And during this pandemic, we've been starved of physical community, of music and art. And it's only because of the Trinity that we can look forward to getting it back. It is the Trinity that has sustained us the past 14 months. What else would our lives be like if the Trinity weren't true? Well, the Trinity shows us that God is not static, but God with a purpose. There's a dynamic movement within God the Trinity, a pulsating, vibrant movement of relationships that is then mirrored in uh, the disciples. In John chapter 17, uh, right before he's about to die, uh, Jesus prays this to God the Father. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them, the disciples, out into the world. And then today, in our reading from Matthew, go, 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 go. Go, says Jesus, go and make more disciples. Now I want you to close your eyes just for a moment, just where you're seated. And I want you to think about that moment in your life 
when you've been the happiest, just take a moment. You were probably in the arms of someone who loved you. Maybe it's a parent-child relationship or a marriage or a romance or a, a deep friendship. But that feeling, one you've never forgotten, it is only the tiniest glimpse of the love that the triune God has for you. And people learning how to follow Jesus, they want to go. They want to share that with their children, their friends. And if the Trinity were not true, and we were not sent out to invite others, then the Christian faith would be the most judgment a judgmental, arrogant, exclusive way of life that you could possibly be uh, sign up for. And it would be a very good reason not to be a Christian. Because in effect, you'd be saying to your friends or your work colleagues, you know what? You just don't matter to me enough. Enough for me to share what I have found. It is the Trinity with its propelling force that drives us outside of our self-centeredness, enabling us to care for the other, to share our material wealth, to impact this city. It is because of the Trinity, because of the very nature of God to relate and to send, that St. Paul's Bloor Street is not a judgmental, exclusive club. Please, no. It should not surprise us that the Trinity is hard to grasp. But that's our challenge. It's not God's. It is hard. And that's okay. When the Queen of Hearts was talking to Alice in Wonderland about something that she was really uh, struggling uh, to believe, uh, the Queen of Hearts retorted, Why? Sometimes I've believed six impossible things before breakfast. What matters is that we're able to live in a world where the Trinity is a reality, a world where loving relationships matter, where music and beauty is possible, where the message of forgiveness and reconciliation with God, it's open to everyone. Thank God, thank God for the Trinity. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and minds to encounter you as three in one. Send us out to create art and music, to comfort and to heal, to serve and to invite. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.